water, blah, 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 green economy, blah, 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 net zero by 2050, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be very, very tough, this summit. And I'm very worried because it, it might go, it might go wrong. We have a moral responsibility, even if we didn't cause it, we would have a moral responsibility to do something about thousands of men, women and children who have lost everything. COP is a massive opportunity, but it is a huge responsibility on the shoulders of world leaders. This is COPcast. Welcome to Copcast 9. That is a wee Robin just about managing to make himself heard above uh, the fairly chaotic environment that is Cop today. Uh, a lot of people around. Uh, we now have something to bite on. We have a, a draft at least of what could be the final agreement here. So we will be having a look at that later on with uh, Lottie who works for SPB Scotland, specifically on COP stuff, and also Patrick, who looks after the parliamentary end of things for us. Uh, I'll also be taking a little trip to the park later on, but more of that later. Anyway, here are Patrick and Lottie. Right, I'm here with Patrick and Lottie on our normal spot on the bridge. Uh, electric scooters and everything going by today. Um, let's get straight into this draft agreement. Uh, what, what, what's your kind of first response to it, Lottie? Yeah, so actually Patrick and I have just come from a meeting with our BirdLife International partners and, and partners from Climate Action Network asking kind of what's going on from that policy perspective, what our thinking is, and uh, really where nature is in that in that kind of covering text and how it can be strengthened. So um, although there is mention in there, really trying to get those mentions a bit more technical and get them really specific so they can be part of that uh, goal towards 1.5 is where we're kind of working on and what, what they're kind of lobbying for at the moment in terms of that text. Yeah, because Patrick, having a look at it, I mean, it, obviously it's extremely positive that nature is mentioned in there and, and mentioned in the context of being part of the solution, right? So not just part of, you know, not just the effects on nature, but how nature can contribute. But it feels like there's still quite a long way to go with it. Is that fair enough? Yes, absolutely. There is some wins. There is uh, nature is referenced in the text oceans are referenced in the text but what we need now is recognition of how important it is to restore and protect habitats uh, because without doing that there's no route to 1.5 without nature yeah so i don't know if you guys have been talking to folk like climate action network and birdlife who've got a long track record right of coming to cops and trying to influence things is there any sense of the fact is it quite normal at this stage for it to be put out there kind of vague in the hope you know in on the basis that the detail will come later or are we concerned that at this what feels like quite a late stage we're still waiting for that detail so this is quite a steep learning curve for us as our first time in COP trying to be like is this normal um, from what I'm kind of hearing and understanding I think that it is normal at this stage for these bits to be coming out and then there's a process of really pushing those negotiations to the final text over the next few days and that's often part of why the negotiations overrun by a few days because they've actually got to keep working on getting don't, that text Don't right. say a few days <laughs> I've got to go home at some point I forgot what my kids look Sounds like. like you might be here for the weekend to be honest. <laughs> no but yeah I mean, I suppose in, in some ways, in any negotiation, you don't play all your cards, you know, straight away, do you? 
no, no, definitely not. And I think that uh, there's also, you know, agreement from some countries on certain things and it's trying to get more agreement from more countries on more things and actually trying to make that progress is going to take a few more days for some of these things. Um, and then I guess, like, balancing that off against people having to go home and how can they make those negotiations as kind of fair and equal as possible when they're having those like final really critical text conversations I, I hope it's all right to refer to this right Patrick but in a previous life you used to be a counsellor right yes. yeah um is this are you getting terrible flashbacks here of like like of, of like comping motions and all this kind of stuff because it does it's, it's, it, it, it it is you can forget in all the theatre of all the stuff going on around the margins that at the heart of this is quite a procedural negotiation oh absolutely so in one hand it's way beyond what we would we would normally deal with as when I was a counsellor but there is definitely similarities um, as Lottie said we were sitting there with our bird life partners looking through the text thinking about potential addendums and amendments uh, and so certainly some flashbacks backs there um, and I think what we need to watch for now is that gap between that credibility gap between rhetoric and reality and making sure that um, when we make references to nature and the text it's backed up with, with the finance that we need that we unleash the finance that we need to, to restore habitats and these are the sort of things we'll be looking for now pledges on funding and transparency and leadership. Yeah, because uh, transparency is fundamentally important. Like when we talked to Beatrice Heller in the week, she was talking about that. And it, it, it's about that really important question of how are we going to know if this stuff's for real or not? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a million-dollar question, isn't it? Or a billion-dollar question. A hundred-billion-dollar question when it comes <laughs> exactly. to forests, right? Uh, yeah. I think it, that is where there's, like, this... So laying the groundwork to 1.5 is like one thing and then actually implementing all those things that makes it reality is a really, really complex task and it doesn't, it kind of lies with individual countries uh, doing that for themselves and then other countries and uh, the people of the world holding them to account to make that progress possible. Um, so I think that gap is something that's really, really difficult and challenging at the moment. Um, now... There's all this big global stuff going on, right? But we are in Scotland, right? You know, some of us can see our houses from here, right? Um, uh, how, how have the negotiations around what happens here been progressing? And, and how do you think Scotland's profile has been during this? So, yeah, good question. Uh, I think that Nicola Sturgeon has done quite a good job of, um, of using COP as a platform and raising her own profile and the profile of her government. Um, there's been some interesting pledges, so the Scottish Government have told us that they're going to um, take some action to restore Scotland's rainforests. Crucially though, we don't know how much money they're going to give us for that, so that again links back to that transparency question. We need to be, we need governments across the world to be open and honest about how much financing they will put into uh, habitat restoration, and that's no different for Scotland. We need, we need clarity. Yeah, because we've got this big headline figure, right, which is £500 million pounds over, the, over the lifetime of the next Parliament to look at at the contribution nature makes across the board but that's like that I mean that includes like peatlands and and everything it's huge yeah so our estimations are we need that alone on Scotland's rainforest so um, I think the way I often think about this is the some areas of spending that are more or less uncontested we spend we know that governments will spend on education and on health and I think we want um, nature and our environment to be up there as one of those big three areas that we every year we invest in um, you know revenue investment rather than um, you know one-off capital projects um, so yeah that, that's some of the things we'd like to see I think it's also worth saying that as we leave COP 
the role of devolved governments and um, you know city uh, administrations will become really really important in implementing some of these actions but also holding their national governments to account and there is an opportunity for Scotland to lead the way in that um, so you know we're hopeful that, that we can see leadership from Scotland. Yeah yeah so a lot of what, what are your feelings about the next couple of days? Hi, to be honest, a bit all over the place because a lot of what I'm hearing gives me some of the hope that I didn't expect. And then on the other side, I think, is this just going to be a total flop and everyone's going to be really disheartened at the end? And I actually think, you know, the march on Saturday gave me loads of energy for thinking all these people are here, they care, it's chucking it down and they're still out here shouting to, to the world saying we care and that was happening all across the globe so actually feeling like you're part of that international like family of people and people are supporting other people and the people who are less fortunate than them and, and letting those voices be heard is really uplifting but on the other side the reports that say okay well we've, we've gone from 2.7 degrees to 2.4 I mean that's not great to hear and that's something that's really scary being you know trying to go forward in the next few years and, and think about that as part of your reality so if we can get in the next few days commitments that take us closer to that 1.5 and, and keep us on that journey then I think there is hopeful uh, kind of feelings but otherwise it's, it's quite complex it's quite a mix of emotions to be honest yeah how, how about you how are you feeling well I've seen today in the paper that the scientists behind the climate tracker have said that based on current pledges um we're looking at 2.4 degrees of, of, of global warming. Um, so we clearly need to do more. They also pointed out that some of these countries that are making huge claims about carbon reduction, it just doesn't add up. Um, so I think they spoke about Malaysia and Indonesia and how they are planting trees and claiming that they, they, they're carbon, carbon sinks, but they're planting them in, in areas of, of peat, peatlands. So you know, there's these huge problems. Um, just up the street from us right now, there's um, a, a group of drummers who are chanting, you know, act now. And I think that's really the point that we're at. We need action um, after COP, so not just words um, on the text. We need some action too. So I think it's um, it's a case of let's wait and see what happens next. Well, listen, from my point of view, um, get in there and make sure that they get finished at least before Sunday lunchtime because uh, I've got tickets to go see Scotland's uh, women play uh, Japan uh, at Murrayfield uh, with my daughter and I'm quite looking forward to it. So they have to get it sorted out by then. Could you, can you manage that? I'll, I'll do my best. Yeah, I'll, I'll do, ask them. I've got every faith in you. All right, well, listen, thanks for today. <laughs> thanks so much. Thank you. So I'm reliably informed that that translates as the Amazon is not a pasture. I speak no Portuguese. But the, the, the people chanting it told me that, and I believe them. Um, now, as I said, I had a little trip to the park to meet Dr. Scott Shanks to talk a little bit about urban wildlife, green spaces in cities, and how that relates to everything that's happening here at COP. Uh, here's that conversation now. We are in York Hill Park now. If I, if, if, I, if I were just a little bit taller and could see over these trees in front of me, I would be able to see COP uh, from here. It's that close. Um, but this is a beautiful little green space, and I'm here with Scott Shanks, who Hello. is more than familiar with this space. Tell, tell me about York Hill Park. Yes, yeah, so this is my local uh, green space. It's, uh, it's probably about 200 metres from my, my house, 200 metres from, from the first entrance uh, going into COP as well. So it's a fantastic little park 
super wild compared to some of the, the parks in Glasgow. It sits right next to the Kelvin, right next to the Clyde. For people who don't know Glasgow, the Kelvin is, is, is Glasgow's other river, right? It is. It's, it's, it's Glasgow's other river. So it's, it's quite close to Kelvin Grove Park, Kelvin Grove Art Gallery, if people have kind of have heard of that. However, it's really nicely connected. So it's got it's got the, these rivers right next to it, lovely kind of green, or the, what they should be, kind of, sort of green-blue corridors bringing in biodiversity, bringing in species. So, and, and this little green space really benefits from that. So just, just a lovely place to spend a peaceful time. Now, we're obviously thinking a lot about climate stuff with COP happening mm. that close. Uh, tell me some of the things about how, specifically about how you know, you're helping to manage this space that might help with the climate emergency. Yeah, sure. So, so I mean, I'm I'm part of uh, obviously RSPB, but my local little local green space group um, have got a, a management agreement with the council to come in here, and we do volunteer stuff and 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 uh, lots of activities during the year. But for instance, in in the south facing slopes here, we now manage those as a as a cut and collect meadow. So we cut them once a year. So the council come in and and do the cutting, and then we get volunteers to come out and rake it all up, move it all, all off to kind of reduce the nutrients, and then we sow yellow rattle and, and you know, sort of put in kind of, sort of wildflower sort of plug plants. And there's twofold reasons for that. There's the biodiversity aspect of increasing the, the number of species and we're going to get more lovely bumblebees and more butterflies coming in and, and the grasshoppers are going to yeah, survive rather than get mowed to bits like in, in, as they were <laughs> in the past. Um, and we've also got foxes and kestrels kind of feeding in here in the voles as well that are, that are now in here because we're, we're managing that way. But um, the, the other aspect of it as well is, is cutting down on the amount of fossil fuels. So the, the council don't have to come in and cut this every two weeks or whatever they were, they were sort of doing. So it's saving on that man manners, saving on our council tax, it's saving on the, the petrol and the diesel that were that was going into there. The other aspect as well is having the long grass. Um, like the last week was just torrential in, in Glasgow. And during, you know, that, that's the prediction for the future, that it's going to be more intense, we're going to have more, you know, sort of wetter, kind of sort of warmer uh, sort of winters. And having this long grass slows the flow, you know, after, after these storm events, flows the rain going into the storm drains, going into the, the Kelvin, bringing all the rubbish that kind of, sort of goes with it and causing sewage to overflow or, or whatever. So just slowing that flow is, is, is massively important. Yeah, because if anybody were visiting here, they would notice, like, on the walk up, right, I was slightly out of breath coming up here, right? It is a bit... It's, it's one of those little corners. You can see why it's ended up as a wilder space, right? Because it's a really steep hill, a little network of steep hills, which you can't build on, right? You know, there's high flats behind us, right? And and, and the uh, hospital campus and stuff, yep. and more flats in front of us. This is a space that's so steep that you can't use it. You can hear as well in the background, it's got a train line and all this <laughs> yeah. kind of stuff. It's a real urban space, it right? It is. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of the time when people think about climate and nature, they think about you know, Cairngorms Connect, or they think about uh, the flow country, right? And they think that the only role that cities have to play in this is belching out emissions, right? But actually, there's a huge amount we can do in our cities, right? There, there totally is. I mean, from, from like, replacing fencing, so we're, like, later this year, we're... we're planting some new hedging along the, the back of the park there and in a couple of years the council is going to be replacing that the steel fence that's there so that's going to cost fossil fuels and the, the carbon and the, the steel that's going to sort of go into that so replacing that with a hedge now 
um, kind of preempts that, and we'll have like a lovely, you know, barrier and kind of set of perimeter, kind of set of feature in there that's capturing carbon, that's capturing kind of air pollution and kind of you know sort of fumes from sort of petrol cars and, and sort of stuff, and and also sound dampening as well, which is so it's it's a win-win-win in multiple uh, sort of ways, but also encouraging people to spend more time out in nature is good for them, it's good for your mental health, um, there's, there's massive uh, benefits as well. And some of the other uh, green spaces that I'm involved with uh, locally, um, we've switched to peat-free, so probably about three years ago we switched to only using peat-free compost and we've trialled about four different set of types and you know what, all of it's great. All of it has been fantastic. So we've got kind of sensory gardens that are full with different types of kind of, you know... What's, what's a sensory garden? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's one of these, so you plant, plant them up differently. So we've got different planters that have got things that you'll taste, things that you'll smell, things that have got, um, you know, like attracting a lot of pollinators, grasses and, and fennel that kind of sort of blow around in the wind. And just kind of sort of lovely things that are accessible for wheelchair users to come in, kind of run your hands through. Everybody wants to run their hand through the lovely grasses and sort of stuff, you know. It's, it's, <laughs> I want to do it now! Yeah. Um, but making those little differences, you know, like this, what twenty-two million gardens across the, the the UK, and just that little change in to go peat-free um, protects that that fantastic habitat, allows it to continue capturing carbon, and you're making a huge difference. You're making a huge difference by by not doing that. I'm, we're slightly veering off topic here, but I want to, right? Well, I've got you, right? Because like you are. Mr. Creepy Crawley, right? You know, I mean that. No, but as, as a, looks, I, I, mean that, no, I mean that absolutely as a compliment, right? And one of the things that's amazing about cities, right, and particularly brownfield sites, oh, yeah. is if you want to talk about biodiversity mm-hmm. and the, the just the sheer range and, and, and depth as well of species that you'll get, a lot of these very unprepossessing looking sites are actually incredible for invertebrates. They are. They're hugely important as well. So just like. 300 metres from here, so just right next to, to COP, just next to the, the Transport Museum down on the cloud there, there's an amazing brownfield site that's absolutely jam-packed with different species of solitary bees, things that I just don't see anywhere else in Glasgow. So little things like the a northern salamining bee, Andrena rufacris, little a specialists that, that are feeding in their tiny little snail that kind of, sort of lives down in kind of, sort of flood zones and stuff that you don't see anywhere else, like nationally rare, and so, uh, actually a European kind of, sort of scale sort of rare. And that's in Glasgow. And when you tell local people, do you know what? You know what we've got just, just yeah. over there? We've got this amazing kind of species. People are proud. People are like well chuffed to have, have that kind of, sort of species in here. So a couple of, like two years ago, we started collecting. Whenever we come out and do our kind of volunteer stuff with kind of the local community we try and find some new species to add to our monthly kind of list so we're currently just from this kind of from York Coat Park and a few of the little kind of, sort of more you know traditional parts we're over 1050 sort of species really? um, just I mean the, the last one there's this there's things on there that just we haven't seen and just because people haven't been looking so we, ha- we added a great spotted woodpecker for the first time so which people think oh we see loads of those but one of the other things we found just a couple of months ago was it was a bit more sinister which is another as well as New Zealand flatworm, which we found last year, unfortunately, we found a tiny little Indonesian uh, flatworm called a Contikia andersoni. I don't think it's got like a, a common name. Fantastically orange and, and kind of, sort of gold, sort of striped kind of sort of thing. What's it doing? Is it killing all our earthworms? What is it eating? Nobody knows. But it's turned up in some of the logs in this park. How it got here, we just don't know. But it's it's one of those things with climate change and with human kind of interactions trafficking stuff across the country and, and carbon miles bringing in 
products, but also bringing in kind of sort of random weird species. But lo- lots of great things we found as well. Yeah, because like maybe the last thing to think about there is, is is that like everywhere else, we are seeing big changes here, right? Even with your recording that you're that you're doing here, you're seeing the evidence of climate change in the distribution of species on the ground. Yeah, I, I think Glasgow's kind of perfectly positioned for loads of species. So th- things like butterflies coming in in the last 15 years, things like peacocks and orange tips, you wouldn't have seen 20 years ago that have actually come in and, and kind of carried on spreading further north. Commas, tree bumblebees. But also, I mean, the unfortunate things like things like uh, ash dieback have hit Glasgow as well and, and you know, are, are sort of affecting our, our ash trees here, which then makes you kind of sort of consider, you know, do we need to kind of, sort of plant additional trees, uh, other species? And for the management of small parks, that's, that's hugely important. Well, listen, what I can tell people is that today, on oh, no, a no, really surprisingly mild November day, <laughs> in, in this direct kind of watery but very beautiful sunset, it's exactly the kind of green space you'd want on your on your patch. And thank you very much for showing it to me. Thanks, Stephen. Cheers. Podcast episode nine done. The drummers are still drumming. There's a long way to go. Who knows how long? Maybe we'll be finished on Friday. Maybe we'll be speaking to you at the weekend. We shall find out. Anyway, do like and subscribe. Uh, Leave a review on whatever platform you listen to this podcast on because it helps other people find us in the podcast jungle. And also use our uh, email address, podcast.scotland at rspb.org.uk. Let us know what you want to hear about. But anyway, until tomorrow, thanks for listening and goodbye.